Good morning, First Press. How are you doing this morning? That's great. Uh, my name is Ezra Gore. This is actually just my second Sunday here, but I've known Alex for about two years now. I'm part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Trinity University. I'm the vice president, and actually our president is here too, Isaac Agumadu. Uh, it's a pleasure being here this morning, and I have the pleasure of doing the scripture reading. So today we continue in the book of Mark, chapter 7, where Jesus just finished, proclaiming to the Pharisees that just as Isaiah the prophet said, they honor me with their lips, but with their hearts they are far from me. Today in our passage, Jesus shares a parable that not only hit home to both the Pharisees and disciples, but we can apply in our lives today. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So now we're going to be speaking from Mark 7, 14 through 23. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immor immortality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flowers in the field. All the grass withers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. Amen. My boy, my boy. Give him a round of applause. Come on. My boy. Hey, my boy. My boy Ezra, that's what I'm talking about. Praise God. Praise God. Faithful, my boy. I appreciate you. Bold. Bold, bold. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I extend my greetings from those that you have already heard. My name is Alex Florio. If you don't know me, I serve here at First Presbyterian Church. And this past Monday uh, marked six years for me growing alongside you. And I'm just so grateful to be here and to preach this Sunday. And as you can already tell, the text today is quite heavy. And so as we desire to enter the word, let us go ahead and turn to our Father in prayer as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what he has for us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we ask you and we worship you and we thank you for this day. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are. King Jesus, let us fall even more in love with you as we wrestle with this text and we wrestle with this issue of the heart, Lord. And we thank you because we know that our assurance is in you. And as we seek your word, Lord, we pray that it would be instilled into our hearts and our lives and that we would remind ourselves that we have a living hope as we are moving from defilement from de to deliverance. King Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God should have said, amen, amen. Well, uh, as we continue our series in Mark, we look to a point where Jesus is giving yet another parable uh, uh, to those that are present. He had just finished commenting 
to the Pharisees in the crowd about the hypocrisy of them accusing uh, him and his disciples of being unclean because they were not washing their hands, right? Uh, Jesus then therefore goes on and quotes Isaiah and the quote in, in its full effect says, um, where it can be found in Isaiah chapter 29, and in its full effect it says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they, they worship me, teaching doctrines, uh, the commandments of men. Jesus exclaims this to say that those that feel as if they are so close to God, right, have completely missed the point. They completely missed the point. The traditions and the habits taught by men are not what saves or what draws one closer to the sense of holiness. Thus, we arrive at our text today, where Jesus shares a parable in hope that they would understand. And God willing, we too will understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And yet, even the disciples asked for clarification. So, let's turn to the text one more time. And he called the people to him again and said to him, Hear me, all you who are, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that's going into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person is what defile him. And he had entered the house and left the people, and his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Right? Since it enters the since it enters, since it does not enter the heart, but it enters the stomach and then is expelled, thus declaring all food clean. And he said to them, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within our own hearts, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft. Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. And as we see and we come to the word of the Lord, it can be kind of heavy, right? It can be kind of heavy. You see, let me add this here, that when I read this scripture, I actually become quite thankful. Uh, not just because it's a good word from the Lord, praise God, amen, right? It's a good word. But sometimes those that were literally walking and dwelling with Jesus had a tough time trying to understand what he was trying to teach. Like, I want you to ask, can you imagine sitting there as a disciple, as a disciple, and Jesus over here just dropping straight wisdom, right, to the Pharisees, and he's, he's speaking all these things, and like, he, he speaks it, and he like walks away with a mic drop, and, and he's walking away in confidence in the Lord, and we're all walking behind him, and be like, yeah, that's right, King Jesus, you're walking away, you're feeling good, can't nobody mess with our group, our clique, we're out here, and even though I'm not washing my hands, praise God, he just said, I'm clean. And walking into the next room, humbled, behind closed doors, just walking up to Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, uh, hey, I love you, and I appreciate that wisdom you dropped. Uh, just in case somebody else wasn't listening, can you just repeat that one more time and explain it? Like, I, I just, well, some of us need clarification. Matter of fact, it's not me, because I was paying attention to you, Lord. <laughs> Bartholomew over here, he, was, he, he asked me to ask you, so 
right? He's like, can you just explain this to me one more time? Give me the cliff notes. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Jesus looks at them. I was like, are you also without understanding? And you're sitting there. It was Bartholomew, King Jesus. I'm just, it was Bartholomew. <laughs> no. Even the disciples wrestled with what they were saying. Jesus immediately and intimately shares with the disciples a lesson that would wreck their lives. It is a message that changes the game. The perception of how we see sanctification. Jesus goes a step further, and through loving truth, he calls and lists all these things that defile a person. This is where it becomes tough. And many times we as people, we don't like it when the heat gets turned up in our life. Right? And our sins are called out. Jesus lovingly calls out these things, and it's almost as if he's directly in our kitchen. Right? And that is, uh, that is what I hope that you see from first glance, is that he's there. And that is in this place of this tension and this heat that we as a church and we as followers can grow in maturity. Church, we must grow. And as we grow in maturity and we actualize these things, we actually can fully feel the weight of his grace and his love. It is only in that tension that grace can be actualized. This is where we can understand the defilement of sin and the evil that is in our hearts. And then we get to receive deliverance through Christ Jesus to be free from that which holds us bondage and hostage at times. And so we will process this text in three ways. First of all, coming to a sense of awareness through the word. Understanding justification that comes through Christ and the sanctification of how we respond. Now, as we come to the awareness of the word, let me be completely vulnerable with you. That I'm just not speaking here and speaking down as I'm with you all here. No, no, no. I'm speaking in a place of vulnerability. We're approaching this text, and as I preach, I have to approach it with grace, because I see myself in the text as well. We live in a world where people perceive the church to solely speak a message as well. We also, we also see a church that always speaks of love, right, and hope and grace and self-affirmation, and you are the very best, and God wants you to live your full potential, and it is your destiny and all of these things, that you're amazing. And let me tell you how to better yourself and your life. Church, this is, this is the truth, that you are loved, and there is hope, but that is not how we grow. Beloved, it is through loving relationship and truthful conversations that we can hold weight that draws close and makes room for us to talk about the difficult things. When you are in a relationship with somebody and you love somebody, and as you share time, those are the relationships that you can draw someone near and speak loving truth over them. Right? It is in those conversations that we grow. And here Jesus desires to speak about those difficult tensions, not because he wants to embarrass the Pharisees or embarrass the disciples, but because he loves them dearly and he needs them to see that they are missing the point. And sometimes I think we can forget that. That even though the Pharisees are after him, he still loves them. He loves them. They're missing the point, and he desires them to have an awareness of their own hearts and how it is out of the abundance of the heart that reflects and defiles someone clean. 
You see, the Pharisees were so caught up by tradition and works that it is as if that the works is what saves and purifies them. But this is not what Jesus is saying, nor the message of the Bible. Right? The example used last week was one of a coffee cup. That you can wash the outside of the cup all you want to, but if the inside of the cup hasn't been cleaned, right? If the inside of the cup is still dirty, right? The cup cannot fully, uh, the, the cup is fully still dirty and is still filthy and it can't live out its purpose or it can't be what it was designed to be, right? The cup is not doing what it was meant to do. And in the same way, we can look and be fresh in front of people, right? Put, put on your best Sunday, Sunday stuff, you know, say all the right things and do the right things in front of people all day long and maybe in, in hopes to show that you're virtuous in hopes that people would favor you. But the lack of those things are not what defile a man. It is the actions and the words and the heart of a man, heart of a person that truly defiles him. We see this reference in the same way in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick, and who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and out of the abundance of the heart, the body acts. We act and we respond because of what is in our heart. Now, friends... As this is a deep text, and man, you're like, oh, dude, that's a lot, Carrie. Let me, let me just, let me lighten it up a little bit. Who here likes movies? Anybody else moviegoers? Yeah? I'm a huge moviegoer, right? Catch me at the movie, give me a big, large popcorn and a Coke Zero. Praise God. <laughs> Finding rest. My Sabbath. We love you, God, Jesus Christ. Friends, anybody here, of course, like Disney, right? You, let, you might like a romance movie, right? A rom-com, maybe? You might like these things. See, again, I love movies, but there are some really terrible examples, right, that people think are great in movies that have to do with the heart, and it's simply just bad advice. And just honestly, just bad advice in general in movies, right? For instance, y'all see National Treasure, right? National Treasure, great movie, good actors. Um, don't steal the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> okay? Don't take that advice, okay? There's no treasure map behind it. I would know because that's how I came to faith in prison. Praise God, and now I'm here. <laughs> the Lord has delivered me. Praise God. No. Like, that's bad advice. Another common bad advice that you hear in movies or you hear in music is to solely listen to your heart. Why? Because if we're being honest with ourselves and we took a step back of just listening to our heart, we can tend to be selfish we can tend to be prideful, and if we're really honest, when we look at this, this list of, that Jesus communicated, somewhere on the road of this life, we may have stumbled in one or another. And what's interesting is that our flesh can tend to want to look at others while we're in the midst of this pressure. Oh, well, I'm not like this person, right? I mean, that, that list is super convicting, Lord Jesus, but that's not me, right? At least I'm not like this person. Or I'm not like that person. Or I know somebody that wrestles with that. Clearly it's not me. It's not me, Lord Jesus. Well, at least, you know what? I'm a good person, and at least I'm not like him or her. We do this in hopes that, our own, that the exposure of our own, sin, our own sin would be less seen. 
But beloved, how can a loving father embrace you if you don't run, from him? You don't run to him? Hmm? How could a doctor heal you if you don't come to him and say that I'm hurting? Or how can a teacher teach you if you're not willing to admit I need help? And church, we're all sitting here saying, I need help. I'm in desperate need of help. Who will help me? Church, Jesus, Jesus is making something abundantly clear. It is the heart that he desires to pursue. It is a relationship with you that he desires. It is not till we come to a place of full awareness of what, uh, that we are in desperate need of a savior that we cannot save ourselves, right? I'm in need of a savior and I can't save myself because my own actions in my heart can be wicked. And I might, I might, be, trying to, I might be trying to just gain favor. No, we can't save ourselves. And once we come to this point, we become more aware of the immense love of Jesus and the love he has for you. And it adds to the true weight of his sacrifice to liberate you from the bondage of sin, which is exactly what is listed, and to purify you, O bride of Christ, and to look at you and say, you are mine and I am yours. It adds weight to it. When we come to a sense of self-actualization, when we start to recognize these things, you are mine and I am yours, King Jesus is saying. And the greatest love story ever told in 66 books, that's our king that responded to the need. What is awesome we see is that we see a beautiful picture of how God responds to situations like this. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the calling of Isaiah in chapter 5 through 7. And as he's in the throne room uh, with God and he's revealed and just in the presence of holiness and seeing God in his full weight of his glory and his love with the angels there, he shouts out, woe is me, for I'm, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. The one of the seraph, and then one of the seraphim, right? So he's shouting out in self-actualization, man, yeah, I'm in trouble. Help me. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I live among the people of unclean lips, and I myself have unclean lips. And then look what happens. One of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal he had taken from tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth. Right? I live a man, I'm a man of unclean lips. The coal touches his mouth. And it said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Church, what defiles a man is what is in his heart. And that's what sin is what separates us. And that is why God sent his son, Jesus, to atone for the sin that is in our lives. It is this beautiful exchange in the midst of a, of a tense time. And Isaiah was fully aware of his need in this text, aware of his sin. And his heart was one of limitation and of woe. But he specifically said his lips and God responded to his lips. And we know that this is a heart issue of sin and God completely responds to the heart. And so he's sent on his way to be about the mission that God has set for him like we will. And so we come to this point of after, after we actualize and we become aware of things, we're also aware of what Jesus, who Jesus is and that we are justified. Upon us being aware, there may be moments when we can continue to be overwhelmed, 
right? By, by the truth that is in our hearts. And I know this is a tough text. And again, Jesus is referring to the defilement and not being what's on the outside, right? And into our stomach, but what is in our hearts and being displayed by our life and the reflection of our lives. Then what shall we do? I don't know about you, but again, I can be overwhelmed at this point. I can be completely overwhelmed. Dear friends, let me remind you, as we sit in this heavy text, John chapter 3, chapter 3, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved from what? Saved from this separation, from, from, from that sin separates us from God. You are being saved, and from the justice that was supposed to be given to you. We sat there in our guilt, and God responded, and we have been saved by Christ. And take heart, beloved. Friends, it is in this assurance through Jesus Christ that we are healed and we are cleansed. And though we may wrestle with the sin that is in our lives, we are not alone. We're not alone. And our identity, take this, I need, I need you to take this. Your identity has changed. You are no longer perceived as clean or unclean, evil or pure when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and you believe and you have your hope in him alone. You change, not from defiled to pure, but from son and daughter of the living king. He invites you in and you're family. And just as family, you don't turn them away. He paid a price, and he loves you. You have been justified. We have this insurance, and our identity is no longer in, in, in the sin and in the defilement. It is in being a son and daughter of the living king. Why? Because it is Christ that justifies you. Which brings us to Martin Luther, who coined the term Simul Justus et Peccador. It's a Latin term. This has deep terms that has many theological implications that are associated with it. And for, day, for today, we're going to look at it face value. It's face value blessing of what it means. And has its firm implications to apply into our lives. When we look at this text again, we can be overwhelmed. We can have almost even a sense of shame. Because the light has been shed into the darkness. We can, send, we can tend to cower Thus, Jesus is speaking all these words, and we have to remind ourselves that he's speaking it in love. Yes, Jesus loves you right where you are, and he lovingly loves you to tell you the truth right where you are, and he gives his life for you right where you are. You don't have to get right. All these things, he loves you right where you are. Let me also add that he loves you too much to keep you where you're at. He wants to see you. To, he wants to grow with you. He wants to build this relationship with you. And when you love someone and you're in right relationship with them, you are open to speak truth in love. What can tend to be frustrating is when we ask ourselves, then what do we do? Then what can I do with this heart issue? What's interesting is that the answer truly lies in not what you can do, but what Christ has already done. The debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. Simul Eustace et Peccador, meaning simultaneously justified and a sinner. We live in this crossroad. 
We live in this crossroad, this tension, meaning that through true faith in Christ Jesus, we have been justified, given, given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is upon this faith that we are compelled to move towards doing good and faithful work. Are you following with me, church? You are simultaneously justified and a sinner, and you will wrestle with it. But thanks be to God, because our hearts are captivated, we act out in faith to be instruments of mercy and instruments of love. And this word justification is commonly used in a court hearing, whether someone is guilty or innocent. And we are those that are being convicted. We're on trial. And the evidence is clear. If we're being honest with ourselves, we have fallen short. And the trial is about to come to a close. And I'm, on this, and I'm the one being judged, me. And just as the trial is about to come to a close and the, the judgment is being given, right, there's a pause, right, as the guy, stop. Upon further analysis of seeing something that's given to the court, that the changes, that my, my plea and my judgment is changed from guilty to innocent. And how is that done? I have been justified, and I'm justified by what? What justifies me? It is Christ, and it is the sinner's death that he took on the old rugged cross. He took my place. He took my place because he loved me, and he loves you. He loves you. You're not alone in this. When you can feel overwhelmed, he's right there with you. And since I've given everything for you and I love you, I want to walk with you. I want to grow with you. You're not too far. And I'm so, so close. Run to me. Come to me. Church, you are so loved. And when the sentence was being given, again, going back to the courtroom, we were guilty. God took, Jesus took our place. And the price for sin and iniquity and all that defiles us was taken away. Christ paid the price fully. No greater love than this that we see than the, life, than the sacrifice he gave. And thus we have been justified. 2 Corinthians verse 21 says, For our sake we met, he made him who knew no sin, right? That we might in him might become the righteousness for the sake. He made him who knew no sin, he became sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. It's this beautiful exchange. It's the divine exchange. He, in all of his holiness, living a perfect life, took my place, and in exchange, I come here. And the righteousness that he has is now ours as sons and daughters of the living king. From defilement, you have been delivered. You have been set free from that which bonds you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once regarded to Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Church, my prayer is this, is that even though this text is heavy, even though this text is convicting, even though this text might turn up the heat, my prayer is this, is that the lights would start flashing and the dance floor is ready. Because I can tell you what, it is time to celebrate, to remind ourselves you have been set free and free indeed, amen? And you are free to dance in this life and to love others well and to give hope and to show grace and to be compassionate because even while you are yet still a sinner, he's died and he saved you. You're justified and he loves you 
And you are no longer what you were. The old has passed and the new has come. Free and free indeed. Free and free indeed. My dear friends, it is not what's on the outside again of what defiles you, but what is inside of your heart. You've had a heart transplant. And that should weigh heavy. That should weigh heavy on us as a church. Because there are so, so many people that feel that they need to do more good things. Right? So that they could, before they can come to church, that they need to get their act right. Right? Their language needs to change. They need to change their music or they need to change one thing or another. Before they even come, they have to get a two-piece suit. Right? I mean, I'm down for you to look fresh, but people in this world perceive, oh, I've got to come pristine and clean. What did we just learn? We can't, we couldn't save ourselves. Christ saved us. And they're sitting there hoping that one day that they could experience this hope and this freedom. No, beloved. This is the showering of love and hope and grace and mercy that can take anybody and wash them clean. Amen? That is the message of the gospel. That it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what's your name, what's your culture, what's your background, what you've done and what you've said. He loves you now. He wants you to run to him. He wants you. But Alex, I'm afraid of making a commitment. I'm afraid, Alex. I'm afraid of that making that commitment because what if I mess up again? What if I stumble and what if I fall? I'm glad you asked. In the, in the early 90s, and early 2000, in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, there was a band called DC Talk. Anybody remember them, maybe? When I was first coming to faith, I, I loved DC Talk. My boy Toby Mac, you know what I'm saying? It was Toby Mac everything, right? I went to every single concert. Come on now. What's interesting is that they actually had a song called What If I Stumble and What If I Fall. It's a beautiful song. And you know how it starts? Remember the heaviness of this text? Look how the heaviness that they start the song. The quote is, they say, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door denying him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Friends, if you are timid to coming to Jesus, because you are asking the question, what if I stumble and what if I fall? And if I should show you my knees, I would tell you that you are in good company. You're in good company if you've stumbled and you've fallen, right? The, and, and I'll tell you this, that the scars that are on my knees as I have stumbled and I have, as I have fallen in, in this life also show a testament of healing from these scars. I have been healed from these things. And beloved, I want you to experience this healing. I want you to experience this love. And I want others to. And my prayer is that you take your steps, that you would take mature steps forward, knowing that you're not alone. And they can be baby steps. But we walk together. We can grow together. We can grow together as we continue to dwell and seek his word. Which finally, as I come to the close, what do we do after we've been justified? We remind ourselves that we have been sanctified. Paul says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, it says, But you were washed 
and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You've been washed clean, right? Justification is the ruling. Case closed. You have been justified, church. Sanctification is defined as this. The action of making or declaring something holy, you've been set apart. There's something different about you. You've had a heart transplant. Something inherently is different about you. It's also defined as the action or process of being freed from sin and purified. Beloved, this is where the capacity of our maturity continues and needs to deepen. That our hearts are compelled to love and to be on mission. Church, our response is to walk forward knowing that we have been justified. And as we walk forward in sanctification, daily knowing that we have been delivered from sin and into right relationship with Christ, we pray that our hearts would have a true hope. And as the band comes forward, I want us to look at this word hope as I close out. You see, this word is actually quite interesting. Because hope uh, in this modern, in the modern word and the modern world, right, hope can mean something completely different than what we see in scripture. For instance, right, if I'm going to a car dealership, right, I hope that I can walk away with a 2021 uh, Dodge Charger Hellcat. I hope I can, right? But when they put up my credit card, my credit history, ah, I mean, I hoped, though, I hoped. They were like, yeah, your hope, yeah, yeah, but your credit score looked like that Dodge Neon, 2009, praise God. (laughs) Is it wheels, though, praise God, amen? (laughs) Destination A to destination B, but I hoped that I'd get get the sports package Hellcat uh, Dodge Charger, right? I hoped. There was an uninsurance, there was an uh, unassurance there. Or maybe when I come, uh, or maybe when I'm, if, if someone else is like, go, if someone's going on a date, yeah, I hope, right? I hope that he or she likes me. I don't know. Maybe, right? Then, then, the, then the date goes sideways. You're like, oops, like, huh, I didn't hope enough. You know? <laughs> praise God. Help me. Praise God. Uh, <laughs> but we say that this hope is an uncertainty, right? I hope so. I hope so. All jokes aside, this form of hope can be personal. That maybe God loves me. I hope so. Maybe there's room for me. I hope so. Maybe he can forgive my sins. I hope so. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking of me when he took on the cross. I hope so. No. The word of the Lord says in Psalm Um, 62 verses 5 through 8 for God alone oh my soul I wait in silence for my hope is from him and he is my rock he only is my rock and my salvation and my fortress I shall not be shaken that's not unassured on God I rest my salvation and my glory my mighty rock he is my refuge my refuge is God I trust in him at all times Oh, people, pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. God is the refuge for us. Does that sound unassured? No, it is an assurance. 
The thing in scripture is that the word hope is not an uncertainty, it is an assurance. And that is where we place our total trust in. Thus, the world where you can have, where you have to feel like you have to prove yourself, right? Prove that you're lovable, prove that you're worthy, prove that you're accepted, and hope that somebody will hear you when you're crying out. Hope that someone will love you. Hope that someone would help you in your time of need. Church, our hope is not in question. It is an assurance. Christ does love you. Christ says you are worthy of his love. God does hear your prayer. And yes, he desires to be in relationship with you because it's not anything that you have done, but what Christ has already done on the cross You are no longer seen or perceived as defiled. You are justified, and we walk together in this newness of life. It is a free gift for me, and it is a free gift for you, church. God is calling the church to rise and to grow in maturity and to to trust that our God is faithful to keep us as his people. And and just as though our hope may have seemed to die, and the Romans thought if we just kill this dude, their hope will die with him. So what did they do? They crucified him and they put him in the tomb. But lo and behold, three days later, our Savior rose from the dead because he is a living hope, amen? And that hope is for me and that hope is for you. And church, you can bet the bottom dollar, put in the check, it won't bounce back. He is coming back, amen? Amen. From defilement to deliverance, you've been delivered from this scale of whether you're clean enough or you're pure enough or you're this or you're that. No, no, no. You've been free from that. You are a son and a daughter of the living king. Take it to the bank. And that's why we come here to communion. That's why we come to the table to reflect on our own lives, reflect how God has been faithful. And even when we were hurting and lost and scared, he was there for us. And even though I still have questions, Lord, I trust in you. You are my assurance. It is not a hope of like, I hope so. No, no, no. My hope, no, you don't understand. My God loves me. And he's coming back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wondrous and beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity for allowing us to gather here together as a church and just to wrestle with your word. Lord, we thank you for the assurance of our forgiveness. And Lord, and though we can actualize and see what can sometimes be in our hearts, Lord, we thank you that we do not wrestle with this alone, but that we walk with others. And Lord, as we approach this table, Father, as we approach communion, Lord, let us be so reminded of the sacrifice Jesus gave. And let us be so compelled to be instruments of mercy and instruments of love, instruments of grace, and that we would declare this hope. It is in Jesus Christ we pray. All God's children said, amen. Amen.